0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's Make Our Possible Shortcast. This is Steph Lively. I work with Ken and co-produce and co-host the Make Our Possible Shortcast. Today, we are providing an excerpt of the interview conducted by Emmy Haynes with Ken Polotan as her guest in her podcast show, Bridge Builder. Emmy Haynes is the managing director of Bridge Builder, an international strategic communications company. Her expertise includes deep knowledge of international markets, including Europe and China. Specifically, she focuses on go-to-market strategies, strategic communications, and cultural transformation. Emmy interviews Ken on his insights and ideas about leadership and innovation in China, especially in comparison to the West. Let's dive right into it. Emmy wastes no time in interviewing Ken. She delivers an opening salvo of a question that strikes right into the heart of the matter. How does culture affect innovation? And she follows up with a very pressing question. How does leadership impact innovation?
1: How, in your opinion, because this is also something that interests you a lot, how are business innovation and culture related? I mean, we talked about it a little bit but also how is leadership impacted because of culture? So these things is something, this is the really interesting, as you said, this is the basis, right? For business, So What do you think?
2: Well, wow, that's a pretty loaded question for a final question. So here are a couple of my thoughts, right? Yeah. Um, on leadership, <laughs> uh, you can look at, for example, uh, maybe I'm thinking, okay, my, my uh, one of my idols, obviously is Steve Jobs, mm-hmm. right. Um, he but he's almost like a cult figure. <laughs> you, know, yeah. so, you know, I don't think he's the perfect manager or the perfect leader. but you know, it's interesting how Steve Jobs, who didn't know anything about computers, didn't have any background in in entrepreneurship, started a, a garage, But because of his background, you know, really invented the whole graphical user interface and really put design as paramount. They say that if it were not for Steve Jobs, maybe you're too young to to know this, we will still all have beige colored computers. Mm -hmm. But he really, he really pushed the design on the desktop, right? And now you can see it on the other products. But, you know, when you talk about leaders, for example, and leadership, so one of the things about uh, Chinese business innovation and again that bring that goes down to the culture is the idea that family right, mm-hmm. there's there's a big uh, emphasis on filial piety. Mm-hmm. you know, I'm not saying that China, you know if it were a public company under, you know, a Chinese leader would not lay off 10,000 people so it looks good on the books, right, I have yeah. no idea, but the reality is the systems are different. Mm-hmm. The environment is different. But uh, one of the things that uh, the Chinese really do well is uh, the leader, from a leadership perspective, they treat everyone as family. And I know that has both good and bad ramifications, mm-hmm. but when I say family, for example, one of the things that, that I, uh, I read about this, uh, a Chinese leader does is they recruit, uh, it's a big uh, figure, a big uh, chain furniture company. Mm-hmm. And what the CEO does is he recruits young people to do sales, you know, 18, 19. And what he does is actually he puts them on a track, you know, to become, uh, you know, business unit leaders by, by 21 years old, mm-hmm. you know. So consciously they've made a determination that, you know, this person has the good qualities and I'll put him on the track, you know, in two to three years, I would like him to lead a business unit. I don't think that happens in the U.S. You don't hire a, a, a college graduate and say, "Wow, this guy is, uh, you know, uh, doing very well," or "this this woman is really outstanding." I'll put her on a track. No, there's no track. You know, yeah. you, you you know, you get your salary. Maybe if it's a, you get a bonus. You know, or whatever, and that's it. But there's no real career or succession planning in place.
0: Ken talks about the role of filial piety in Chinese businesses' people strategy. Filial piety is the virtue of exhibiting the proper love and respect for one's parents, elders, and ancestors, particularly within the context of Confucian, Chinese Buddhist, and Taoist ethics.
2: You know, um, there's a company here in New Jersey uh, that's led by a Chinese from Taiwan, uh, Mm -hmm. and it's called Box, right? Mm -hmm. And his philosophy is that to treat your employees like they're your parents, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so, okay. so, well, because of that, his attrition is very low, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, when you treat your employee, I mean, obviously, he started at a small company, but now they're a company of about 5,000, yeah. you know, uh, so everyone is, is family.
0: Folks, have you heard of Tony C.? <laughs> This customer-centric strategy caught the attention of Jeff Bezos. He thought the idea of free returns was compelling enough that not only did he copy Zappos, he eventually bought the company itself. Tony's customer innovation idea became a crucial part of Amazon's Prime membership model.
2: I think what I'm trying to, uh, to say is that, unfortunately, the thinking around people and talent in the US is a little bit behind because, uh, for the most part, we think of people as commodities, mm. right? Yeah. They're a cost center. Yeah. You're costing me in my business. Yeah. And therefore, as a commodity, you're a line item on my spreadsheet. Yeah. And if the business is not doing well, so be it, yeah. right? Out you go. And speaking of innovation, um, unfortunately, he uh, died. Tony Cher, I don't know if you remember him, he started Zappos, yeah. right? Zappos uh, started out. The, uh, an e-commerce site selling shoes
0: mm-hmm. and
2: even back then you know jeff bezos would would you know uh, amazon is already around right yeah. but guess what zappos is the first ever e-commerce company that allowed free returns mm-hmm. before that even amazon said you want to return that we're going to have to charge you for shipping yeah. but Tony said, you know what, no. I mean, how can you figure out if the shoes fit right if you're buying it on a computer screen? Yeah. So let's make it returns free. And, and because of that, and, you know, again, that kind of thinking, you know, very people-centric thinking, putting people in the center, you know, because of that, Jeff Bezos bought Zappos, and he copied that idea of free returns. <laughs>
0: Are the Chinese people more open to innovation compared to American society? Let's hear Ken's take on this with regard mobile payment technology.
2: The second is, I think the real uh, the real reason that China is innovative is because of its population, mm-hmm. right? I'm not talking about the billions of Chinese, you know, but they have a market that's yeah. available to them at their disposal, and I think this market is so. Uh, um, they they call it, the people there are so adoptive and adaptive. Meaning if there's new technology, they, they adopt it right away, they use it. Yeah. And they're very adaptive in the sense that they change their way of living to yeah. accommodate new technology. Whereas here, not so much, right? So for example, you know, the whole idea of mobile payment in China had an amazing traction. You know, in China, you can go to a store and, and pay with your phone, with yeah. Alipay, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but here, you know, about five, 10 years ago, it was very hard. And even up to now, it's still hard to pay with your phone because there are competing you know, standards or, or applications. But, um, but yeah, no, that's, that's uh, I think the, the, compared to the American population versus the Chinese population, that the Chinese are very adaptive and very adoptive. You know, they, they've gone through a lot of change, obviously, and that's made them resilient and very flexible, right. and especially flexible in terms of welcoming new technology.
0: What role does government play in innovation? How does cooperation between the private and public sectors drive overall business innovation?
2: I mean, I hear that uh, Amazon, I mean, in China, you know, Amazon is already delivering packages by drones.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We still Maine don't Japan have that. Also, mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, the we still food don't delivery have that.
1: service deal. as well. I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. I mean, in the US, it's still not available. Why? Mm-hmm. Because we still don't have government regulation and mm-hmm. how to accommodate drones in terms of the zone and the fly zone and all that stuff. And that would take five, 10 years, yeah. you know? So, you know, in a way, I guess it's if, if it's state or uh, sponsored innovation, or at least paving the way for innovation so that the government doesn't get in the way, which by the way is what American entrepreneurs and business leaders want mm-hmm. is for government to get out of the way. But in China, they do one more step. Government gets in the way, but they also build the infrastructure for businesses to flourish.
1: Yeah.
0: Emmy discusses how the COVID-19 pandemic exposed the cracks in the system, both in the US and the rest of the world. Part of the issue is the American business focus on short-term thinking.
1: Exactly. That is really well put. And also this maybe coming back to what we said at the beginning this different perception of long-term thinking right so including the government including the population including also your employees for example will help them foster a more sustainable ecosphere um versus i don't know about the us but i know that in the european union so many people quit their job during COVID. Uh, There was a huge surge of people who said that actually we are super uh, unsatisfied with our work situation, we're not taking into consideration, and we will quit, right? So this is something I think if you pay attention to your employees, and if you like enable them a good uh, like career track, for example, just as you pointed out, um, that could be more sustainable in the long term for a company, right?
0: In this segment, Ken questions the wisdom of Silicon Valley's hustle culture. He also compares the startup ecosystem in the US and China.
2: Well, yes, you're absolutely right. And like I said, I'm not a big fan of the fact that uh, most business leaders here view people as commodities, right? I mean, you know, uh, we've had, like I said, in the 80s at the height of outsourcing, you know, CEOs were firing employees by the thousands.
1: Yeah,
2: you know because they're cost centers, right? Yeah, um, and I don't think that's you know sustainable. Or forget sustainable. I don't think that's humane. Mm-hmm. You don't treat people as commodities, and, and mm-hmm. you know. And I think this idea of, of scaling, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, and having uh, and being successful in two to three years. And, Getting a valuation of zero to one billion as a startup, yep. being a unicorn is, you know, it's just a little crazy. And by yep. the way, that's another topic, you know, which is interesting because many um, many observers view the Silicon Valley uh, culture as not being the most ideal mm-hmm. to start a business. Okay, and in fact, I think Z. I don't know. Have you heard? Um, you know, for for a while that. Uh, China has kind of uh, is still regulating, you know, big startup companies, their own unicorn companies, like Alibaba and and Mm -hmm. and stuff, right? In fact, some Chinese companies lost a lot in the last few months. You you heard about that, Yeah, 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 definitely. And I think what the Chinese leadership are seeing is like, guys, we don't want you startups to follow the U.S. model of startups. Because mm. what the U.S. what we are doing here is that we've used technology to create more inequality.
1: Yeah.
2: Right. So yes, we are. We have unicorns. We have the Ubers. You, you know, which has uh, its own issues with drivers. You know, mm. we have uh, Airbnbs and and mm. everything is on the phone. But at the same time, what has been the really net effect on society? Right. Yeah. It's been this inequality and i think the chinese chinese leadership see that very very well and said hold on a second guys you know what calm down let's let's take a look at this and we don't want to end up like that
0: ken then talks about the paradox of technology or how american technology has produced the most extreme income inequality in the history of the us
2: so I think, I think that makes sense because at the end of the day, when, when you produce billionaires like Black like Jack Ma, for example, you want to lift the rest of society as opposed to what's happening in the U.S., which is we produce billionaires, trillionaires, which is crazy, by the way, and yet we have homeless people here
1: yeah.
2: li- living in tents under mm-hmm. bridges like it's a third world country. To mm-hmm. me, that doesn't compute. How is that possible that we can have an Elon Musk Mm -hmm. who could buy a country, Jeff Bezos, who could buy a a banana republic,
1: Mm -hmm. you know, and
2: yet we have people who are living in tents in the middle of winter, so.
1: Not even people who live in tents in the middle of winter, a normal medium income family couldn't afford a family member to have cancer. I mean, We are not even talking about the poorest of the poor. We are talking about a huge inequality in the middle of the US society. So um, I totally agree.
2: That is, uh, you're absolutely correct. And it doesn't make sense. And on the one hand, on the other hand, it does make sense because of the way we design our system, the way we design our environment.
0: This is an interesting point, as Ken delves into Asian groupthink versus the American psyche of rugged individualism. Yep.
2: So, you know, and again, it goes, it goes back to culture. You know, yep. Asians and Chinese, we're, we're all about groupthink, you know? Mm-hmm. There's not so much about individual. And, and again, I, I would say that the reason America is successful for the past 200 years is this cultural psyche called rugged individualism mm. right I and I alone will make myself successful
1: yeah
2: everybody get out of the way you mm. know and I think it's it has uh, again culture has its traditions in history because this country in the beginning it's a big country right yeah. and it was it was sparsely populated especially the West you know yeah. and you really had to go you know build build yourself up you know, when there was nothing there. Yeah. And I think that's the kind of attitude and culture where, you know, I alone will make myself successful, get out of the way. Whereas in Asia or China, it's like we, you know.
0: Ken shares a couple of interesting anecdotes about a Chinese startup founder, Jack Ma. He's the CEO of Alibaba, the Amazon of China.
2: So Jack Ma started Alibaba with eighteen people. Some of, yeah. some of them were former students. Yeah, you know, and <laughs> Jack Ma is he's he's an interesting guy. Did you know that he uh, when he was in China he applied for a job? Oh, he applied at KFC when KFC went to China. Yeah, right. No, I didn't and know there, that. Okay. Yeah, so <laughs> so there were twenty three applicants. All twenty two were were accepted by AFC, but. Uh, Jack Ma said he was rejected. He was told, you're no good.
1: Okay, good to know. (laughs) Jesus.
2: Okay, here's another one from Jack Ma. You know he applied to Harvard Business School 10 times? No. And got rejected every time?
1: i love to see how how i mean for me this is inspirational you know and this is i think a good end of the conversation i mean i would like to go on forever we should do a second session but uh, it's a good ending because it's very inspirational to see that maybe it's just not the right place just not the right time and it doesn't have to do with the talent of somebody or with the strength of somebody but uh, so many people who uh, didn't make it in the US went to China or to Asia and became super successful or the other way around. And this leads back to culture, innovation, leadership, uh, development and so on, all like all are linked together. And uh, thank you very much for your insights. It was really, really interesting. I don't want to end the conversation actually, but I know that you have to go. Um, is there anything else you would like to add, Ken?
2: No, I, I just want to say thank you for this opportunity to, uh, to chat with you. I've I really enjoyed our conversation. And believe me, you know this is something that I'm very passionate about. And I feel like I've only scratched the surface. Yes. So <laughs> no, I mean, which is great, because uh, then we can always look forward to another session.
1: Absolutely. I'm really looking forward to it. So thank you, Ken. Thank you very much for your insight. And see you for part two, definitely.
2: <laughs> Thank you, Amy. Thank you, now.
1: Great.
0: If you enjoyed our episode today, please consider subscribing to make our possible shortcast, where we discuss compelling topics on leadership, innovation, and culture. This is Steph Lively signing off. Remember, if you're not learning, you're not leading. Until next time.
1: Thank mm-hmm.